The Bible reading today comes from the Song of Songs, chapter three, verse six to chapter five, verse one. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by sixty warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle. Each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver. Its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. Come out, you daughters of, of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him. On the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. How beautiful you are, my darling! Oh, how beautiful! Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flo flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. Oh, how all beautiful you are, my darling! There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinai, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens, and the mountain haunts of the leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride! How much more pleasing is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice? Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of. Pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes, and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Eat, Eat O friends, friends, and drink. Drink, drink your fill, O lovers. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you, Andy, for praying, and Martin and Flo for reading um, such a, a great passage. Um, just uh, to warn you also, um, if there are kids around, and if you're a parent, and uh, this section is about marriage and sex, um, so I'm going to talk about that a lot. So <laughs> please instruct your kids as you would like, um, but let's pray um, that God would speak to us uh, through this beautiful text. Lord, we thank you for your word um, that... It is beautiful, um, Lord, and we pray that as we sit under your word, that we would hear you speak um, to us, uh, to our marriages, um, to our, our life that's longing for this sort of fulfill- fulfillment in many different ways. And Lord, we pray that we would know your great love um, in the midst of it all. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've joined us and you don't know me that well, my name is Hugh. Um, I'm married to my lovely wife, Mary, and I have two kids, Barney and Corey, which means that I've had sex twice. (laughs) Maybe you've heard that joke before. It is a joke, um, but it does speak to, I think, many people's poor uh, marital uh, state. Um, Before marriage, many people look forward to having sex, but for some reason, after they get married, this desire plummets for many different reasons. Now, we're in the third week of Song of Songs, uh, and in this section, uh, the, the author celebrates marriage. It celebra- he celebrates sex. The point is made in many different ways. You know, in the Western uh, writing, often the, the most important points put in the introduction, uh, and, but the Hebrew writing often puts it right in the middle. And sex, in the Song of Songs, is right in the middle. You know, the last lines, a few lines that <clears throat> Martin and Flo read, chapter 4, verse 16, and chapter 5, 1, the, the invitation, come, awake, right? And then uh, the, the acceptance in chapter 5, verse 1, well, there are 111 lines before that section and 111 lines right after that section. And from, in many different ways, uh, the author has been building up towards it. We heard it in chapter 1. as he, In the first week when we went, our first week's passage was about how the man and the wife, uh, the, 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 the girl met and they were just enraptured with one another. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And second week, the reading was about the proposal. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me, chapter 2, verse 10. And today is their big wedding day. That's a celebration. It's a celebration of their marriage and also the consummation of that marriage. And it's a celebration, therefore, of that great union that God has with us how he will take us as his beautiful bride. So let's jump into this poem. Let's jump into this celebration together. The big day has arrived for this couple, and there is a sudden excitement that stirs in the air. Right? Who is this uh, coming from? Chapter 3, verse 6. Who is this coming from the wilderness? With smoke, myrrh, incense, verse 6. The groom is coming and he's uh, wearing the finest cologne and he's leaving a trail of fragrance. He's coming with his friends in the finest uh, of of Sudan. He comes with his groomsmen, verse 7. In Solomon's carriage, it says, escorted by 60 uh, warriors. 
He's wearing something like a crown, one that resembles Solomon's crown on the day of his wedding day. And some people say that this is literally King Solomon coming to get married. Some people say, actually, this is sort of uh, setting it up. The author is setting up a contrast between sort of this great extravagant and and glamour of Solomon to uh, the shepherd boy. I could be wrong, but I think these readings probably require too much of an imagination. I think the sim- it's simpler to see this section as the groom dressed up in his wedding splendor, right? A wedding day like Solomon and the bride singing a love song, watching him, singing, uh, receiving him uh, like uh, his, she's receiving a king. Uh, that's how she sees him on their wedding day. It's a song that's full of hyperbole. And we see also how he looks at her in chapter 4, 1 through 7 too, don't we? And you've seen probably that look. Um, you've been to many weddings. Usually the groom sits there in the front, or stands there in the front, and he waits. And the bride enters, and everybody stands. They crane their necks to get a glimpse. And she walks down the aisle, and now the groom and the, and the, and the bride stare at each other. And as he stares, he has that look. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, uh, he says, How beautiful, how beautiful you are, my darling. He repeats it twice. How beautiful you are. And then he describes her, how she looks, her teeth, her hair, her lips, mouth, temples, neck, breasts even. And we're not to take any of these things literally, because if you did, um, it might look like this. No, these are metaphors uh, that it's, uh, to help us not to see what he sees, but help us to feel what the groom feels as he looks at his bride. He feels this rush of joy. He, he feels so happy, and she looks brilliant and radiant in his eyes. Let's do, go through some of this. Uh, verse 1, her hair is like flock of goat um, down Gilead. Perhaps these black-haired goats, as they, the flock of it comes down, maybe they glisten right under the sun. Her teeth are white as each has its twin and not one of them is alone. <laughs> In a way, she's got all her teeth. <laughs> and they're white and, 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 and you know, she's got every, there's no one of them is missing. In those days of, you know, without dental hygiene and orthodontists, I mean, this is a big thing. Her lips are scarlet red. I'm not sure about what the pomegranate temple is all, all about, but her neck, uh, it's, it's slender and tall, and it's decorated now with all sorts of necklace, it seems. Her breasts are like young fawn, a symbol of fertility and gentleness. And he concludes in verse 7, You are altogether beautiful. My darling, there's no flaw in you. I don't think we're meant to infer that she's the most beautiful person in the whole world, right? She doesn't think that. And we know that because what she said before, she said that before that she was a common lily. <laughs> she's like a lily in the valley. Nothing special. She's also said that she's darkened by the sun, and think about what he actually praises. If I take the poetry out of it, what he's, one of the things that he said was, wow, you have all your teeth. <laughs> so, I, you know, he, she, we're not meant to infer that she's the most beautiful person in the world. But on this day, as he looks at her, she is to him. 
She is to him the most beautiful person in the world. And that feeling was mutual, right? As, we, as the, the, the bride saw her shepherd husband coming, he, she saw a king. She saw the courage and strength and the splendor of King Solomon. And when this uh, groom sees his farmer girl, he sees a woman without flaw today. On this day, they look at each other like king and queen. Have you seen these memes? Marry someone who looks at you like they look at Justin Trudeau. (laughs) Look at all these people. Or this one. Or pizza. Find yourself a girl who looks at you like the way that she looks at this pizza. Well, I married somebody like this. Well, look at the way that she looks at me. <laughs> for, but for many couples, though, look, the, the wedding day seems to be the highlight of their marriage. Wedding day is the a time when they look at each other in this way, and it seems for many people all downhill from there. Over time, we start taking each other's positive uh, uh, qualities of our spouses for granted. Actually, many of the traits that first drew us to the other become sort of traits that annoy us the most. Instead of listening and loving in a loving way, instead of taking everything with the greatest and the loving motivation, we expose their flaws and we pick at it. Many couples can no longer to stand stand to look at each other. And so their marriage becomes almost kind of like a project, a business partnership, raising the children. Husbands and wives love each other. In this song, it's not that the bride doesn't know that she's marrying a shepherd. (laughs) It's not that the groom doesn't know that she has flaws. But they choose to look at each other through the lens of love. (laughs) And they look at each other like they would look at a king and a queen. And we can do that too in our marriage. We ought to do that more in our marriages. We can choose to interpret each other's actions and motivations through the lens of love. And we can choose to remember the best features of our spouses and remember the reasons why we married them. At least not forget them in our marriages. Don't let the wedding day be the best day of your marriage. Keep loving, keep forgiving, keep interpreting each other through the lens of love. And by doing so, by showering each other with love, actually, we become more lovable. We're changed by that love over time in our marriages. And that's why God has brought, uh, instituted this institution of marriage. Of course, this isn't just for the married. It's for all of us. We should love one another. I mean, that's a command that's given to the church, to all of us. That's a, a command that's given to the church, for, to people in the church, friends. God has joined us also as together as a body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, and He tells us to love one another, to interpret each other with the lens of love, to see the best in each other. You know, some of my best friends consider me their best friend because they choose to see the best in me, not because they don't know my flaws, but because they see the goodness in me and they affirm that goodness, and I do the same. And that's a need that we all have, don't we? Not to be seen for our worst qualities, for our worst moments, but to be seen uh, for our uh, to be seen as noble and strong and courageous and beautiful and lovely. 
we can do that for each other in the church, in our marriage, in our friendship. And of course, that's what God does to us, for us in Jesus Christ. And for those who are outside of Christ, of course, God cannot ignore the sin and the terrible things, uh, the wrongdoings. But for those in Jesus Christ, for those whom He has made His bride, He loves us. He delights in us right now. You know, when we sin, when we are unlovely, He doesn't run away. He doesn't recoil uh, in disgust. When we sin... In His compassion, because He's a compassionate and loving God, He comes closer to us. He loves us and affirms us even more. Remember, back in chapter 1, that's what the husband did. Well, that's what the, uh, the man did for the girl. When the farmer girl says, Do not look at me because I am dark. Oh, do you remember how he gently affirmed her? When, he said, when she said, Oh, no, I am just a, a, a lily of the valleys. He calls her a lily among the thorns. He then gently comes, affirms us, calls us lovely because we need, in our sinfulness, we need His love even more. And so in His gentleness, He comes, loves us because He is love. Church, God is pleased with you. He is pleased with you. He finds you exceedingly beautiful. He wants to spend an eternity with you. And the second person of the Trinity took on humanity for eternity so that He could be with us, so that He would be able to spend the eternity with us. Church, that is how God loves you. He loves you just as you are, and His love will make us perfect. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There's no flaw in you. Well, we now see the husband and wife standing in front of each other, staring at each other. The wedding has taken place. Taken place. Now groom makes the invitation. Verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. He's utterly smitten. In verse 9, he says, you've stolen my heart, not just once, but twice. You've stolen my heart. You can almost feel the hormone now in the air. Verse 10, how delightful is your love? How pleasing is your love than wine, your fragrance, your perfume, your lips? He can't wait to take her into the bedroom. I remember, until this time, the bride told her friends not to arouse or awaken this love. That warning is no longer necessary. She responds, chapter 4, verse 16. Awake! Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruit. So he does, according to chapter 5, verse 1. And the marriage is now consummated. Of course, we should note the order of things. (laughs) Marriage comes first, and then sex. Did you notice what the shepherd calls her now? For the first time in this Song of Songs, he calls her bride. In verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, chapter 5, verse 1. Um, and we also find that the, uh, the bride has kept, uh, even though her imagination went wild in, in the, from the very beginning, in the very beginning, uh, even in chapter 1, she has kept herself a virgin. Verse 12. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You're a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. 
don't we assume that he's done the same for her too? But now that they're married, they share their bodies with each other. It's as if they've given each other the key um, to their garden that was locked up, and that now they say, this is yours. Please come and enjoy. Notice the possessive in verse 16. Let my beloved come into his garden. She's not, she's not referred to herself as her anymore. It's his garden. And he says the same in chapter 5.1, I've come into my garden. In fact, the most repeated uh, uh, word in this section is my. It occurs 20 times. In chapter 5 verse 1, it occurs 9 times. My. You see, when we marry, we become each other's. Everything that we have becomes each other's. That doesn't extend to just our book collections or our bank account. We share those things sometimes with our friends. We share books with friends. Our bank account, some of the money with our friends too. But we also now share our bodies with our husband and wife. We don't share that with anybody else. This is for marriage only. This is the place where all that I have, I give to you, becomes most pronounced. It's really a place where you show we share everything with each other. And undoubtedly, what we see here in this section is that uh, sex within God's design between a man and a woman, between husband and wife in the covenant of marriage is good. It's beautiful. One commentator writes, Wisdom of Song teaches us that wisdom of the song teaches us not only that the covenant life in marriage must be rock solid, but also that it must be white hot. I don't know about you though. I find this passage uh, somewhat difficult to get through. I mean, even as I was studying it in my studies, I was giggling a bit um, here and there because I find sex an embarrassing topic. I really don't talk to anybody about sex. We don't talk about sex. I don't, even with my parents, I've just done one sex talk um, when I was young. I don't t- talk about it in the church with others. I don't really talk to anybody about it. And when I talked about it, when I was like 16, 17, you know, I talked about it in not so edifying ways with my friends. And this attitude is prevalent, right? The, uh, probably the most famous theologian of his day in the 12th century, Peter Lombard. This is what he wrote. <laughs> the Holy Spirit leaves the room when a married couple has sex, even if they do it without passion. I mean, come on. <laughs> Not according to Song of Songs. Not according to God's Word. In the passage... Sex is described as better than wine. Each other's body is described almost like the Garden of Eden, full of fragrance, fertile fruits like pomegranate. It drips of honey. It's full of flowers and the finest of of, of spices. Take a look at chapter 5, verse 1. It's compared to the promised land. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Sex is good. And that's the message the Song of Songs is, going to, uh, is trying to tell us. And that's a message that we need to hear. Because remember when we did First Corinthians ch- uh, series, when we went to First Corinthians chapter 7, it almost, sex almost sounds like a duty. Uh, do not deprive of each other, of, of one another. When you read Song of Songs, it's clear that it's not just something that you have to do, it's something that, that, that's given as a gift. It's something that should be delightful within marriage. Church, 
if you are married then? May I suggest that you make sex a regular part of your marriage? In Jewish, in, in Jewish in, uh, tradition, uh, Jewish tradition recommends a married couple to have sex every Sabbath. That is considered part of a Sabbath delight, a Shabbat delight. And like Sabbath, though, it does require some work. In order to rest, you need to work hard. <laughs> and uh, it's the same here. You need to prepare. I mean, here, you can't dress up like a, a groom and, and a bride every day. But, you know, dress up. Take care of yourself. This is a union of two slobs here. And there is also the mutual affirmation, the expression of love, right? You, uh, uh, there is no flaw in you. When Mary and I were doing our premarital counseling, um, the, uh, my predecessor, Dale Hansen, did it for us. And he said, you know, the, the, biggest, um, the, the biggest sexual organ is your head. Right? And he said, said, you need to take care of one another. You need to love one another throughout the day. And the act itself should be the culmination or the climax of your loving, your expression of love for one another throughout the day. I mean, ideally, that is the case, isn't it? And as you're listening to this and you go, well, actually, my sex life is pretty poor in the marriage and I I don't know what to do about that. But take then note of the order, right? Marriage comes first and then sex came after. If sex is bad, it's probably because marriage is bad. And we need to work on marriage uh, first. We need to really treasure one another and love one another. Uh, Mary and I, Niels and EJ, and there are other couples um, in, the, in the church, older couples, who can help you, who can counsel um, on your marriage, how to talk to each other better, how to forgive one another, all those things. Come and talk to us about these things. And do also take advantage of uh, uh, marriage enrichment days and other courses that have come along. And there are those who would require a more professional help. And we have some names that we can recommend um, there too. So do come to us. Because sex, as God designed it, is good. It's a gift. It's a powerful glue that brings people together. Two people, uh, husband and wife, together. Well, does this section have anything to then say to single people? Single people who are waiting for the day or, or, or maybe widowed. Uh, or those who are called to be single and celibate uh, for their life. I think so. Let me point you to this slightly curious thing, right? Because this groom calls his bride, not just bride, but he actually calls her sister. Did you notice that? In verse 9, 10, verse 12, and chapter 5, verse 1, he calls her his sister. The sister is a term of endearment, term of knowledge and friendship. Why would he call his wife, sister? Uh, right now, Barney and Corey spend a lot of time together. They are each other's best friends. You know, Corey says some stuff. Barney probably knows what's going on, sometimes more than the parents do. And Barney says he doesn't really like girls, um, but if he has to marry somebody, then he'll marry Corey. <laughs> you see... This marriage in Song of Songs, uh, this Song of Songs, that sex isn't just about sex. It's not about a hookup. It's not just physical thing. It's found in deep relationship, deep knowledge of one another, deep love for one another. That's why it, it, she, he calls her his sister. 
bride. And if this sex, this couple's sex seems joyful, it's because it is founded in this deep love and relationship with each other. But you see, that brotherhood, that sisterhood, what this tells us is that although marriage and sex help in bringing these two, uh, two people together, they're not in se- essential ingredients in having this deep uh, form of relationship, being brother and sister, being uh, father, son, and, and, and daughter, uh, all these, these relationships. You could have it without marriage. You could have it without uh, sex. They help um, bringing these two people together, but they're not essential ingredients in having deep friendship and deep love for each other. You could have that with your siblings. And many of you do. When you were young, you were your sister and brother's best friends. Many of you, many of you do have that relationship even now. Many of you have that relationship with your friends. David and Jonathan come to mind. Um, remember that covenant that David makes with Jonathan? I mean, it's almost like marriage. <laughs> they make a covenant with each other. And we see the deep love and kinship between the two. And when Jonathan passes away, do you remember what he says? David exclaims, Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. Second Samuel one twenty six. And Jesus too lived a life, a celibate life. But he had deep friendships. You know, one of his disciples is called the beloved disciple. He was known to have had this deep relationship with him. And he, even without marriage, even without sex, he had the most fulfilling life that one could have. And this too is also where we're headed. In the new creation, there will not be marriage and there will not be sex. Why not? It won't be necessary because it's not needed. It's not desired because of the union that God will have with his bride, the church, that union, as one commentator put it, will make sexual consummation seem insignificant, even silly, like two teenagers throwing matches into a roaring bonfire. We'll be united to God like that. We will deeply and fiercely and selflessly and passionately and beautifully love God like that. And we'll be loved by God like that. But not only that, we will love each other like that. We will love each other fiercely, selflessly, beautifully, and passionately as this couple does. Well, that's also how God loves us now. And that's also how we ought to love each other now. In our marriages, in our singleness, with our friends, with our family, with our church family, church. Let us love fiercely passionately, selflessly, beautifully. Church, let us love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of marriage and gift of sex. Lord, we thank you that it points us to this deep relationship that we could have with another human being. And that points us um, to the deep uh, love that you have for us and that we ought to have, have for you. And Lord, we pray that you will bring us closer to each other in the church, in our marriages, 
Lord, help us to be people who are loved by you in this deep and passionate and beautiful way that we may, uh, that that will be reflected in our marriages, that will be reflected in all of our relationships. Lord, we know that in our sinfulness, we can't do that by ourselves. So breathe in us, Lord, the power of your spirit and help us to love one another this way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.